Hey, it's Marvin. This episode of Books and Boba is brought to you by Audible Theater Presents Good Enemy, a play by Yilan Liu and directed by Che Yu, playing now at the Manetta Lane Theater in New York City. The play is about a father who learns that closing the door on his past means shutting his daughter out. When Howard makes a surprise cross-country trip to see his college-aged TikTok-loving daughter, he's forced to confront the realities of their relationship and the rift between them, a rift caused by Howard's own refusal to face memories of his life as a young man in China. In a smart, thrilling story that deftly weaves together two generations and two continents amidst sweeping social change, Good Enemy explores the power of human connections, affirming that no one lives an ordinary life, no matter how hard they try. The New York Times shares with a serious mind, an inventive spirit, and a goofball heart, Good Enemy is a melange of a play about getting a second chance and being wise enough to grab it. The play is in its final weeks of production and must end on November 27th. So if you're interested and in New York City, you can learn more and get your tickets now at goodenemyplay.com. And just for Books and Boba listeners, you can get a special 25% discount by using the code BOBA25, all caps. Again, that's goodenemyplay.com with discount code BOBA25. And now, the show. And hey, you're listening to Books and Boba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. And my name is Marvin Yue. And I'm Rira Yu. And welcome to episode 200 of Books and Boba. Rira, we've made it. We've made it. We've We've talked about it. And it seemed like a far off dream, but we are here. Yeah. We made it to the... the, not finish line because we're still gonna record episodes. But you know, you know what I mean. <laughs> it's a milestone. Um, I kind of feel like we should have done something special. And I think we mentioned doing it, but then things got busy. You know, I got married. Um, holidays are coming up. Uh, we'll we'll find a reason to do something special with with all our fans sometime soon. I think um, it's something that we've always wanted to do, and um, actually have a little bit more time right now because of certain professional things that happened so maybe yeah, we'll it would be really it would be really nice to hang out with some of you guys because marvin and i were just in our rooms all the time pretty much and we don't really know <laughs> how many of you guys are listening and if you guys exist I'm sure you guys exist because we've <laughs> made it to episode 200 and this would not have been possible without you know, some of you guys listening and sending us messages. We do read them. And, you know, thank you so much for your support. Yeah, I mean, it really feels like it's it's a really hot, a weird time right now because whenever I do make a tweet on Twitter, um, it sounds like I'm screaming into the void because who knows who hears that these days. But uh, yeah, thanks to everyone who's been following us. Um, we've been trying to re, I guess, ignite our Instagram page. I've been kind of... Um, it's been it's been a little dead lately, um, and that's my fault for not being on top of that. But uh, yeah, we're we're gonna start um, hopefully. Um, uh, but yeah, we're 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 planning to um, at least 
be more present in social media. Um, at least that's the goal. But, Especially since we might have to switch platforms because we're the most active on Twitter, which is, you know, where publishing is the most active. <laughs> and uh, Twitter is kind of going through a weird time where we don't really know what's going to happen in the next couple of months. Is it going to disappear? Like, is it going to <laughs> sink like the Titanic? And are we like the are we like the musicians who like play until <laughs> until we go down with the ship? Who knows? Who knows? Knowing us, that's that we probably are. We're definitely the musicians. I mean, I was there since you know <laughs> it it was founded. I was there once when the dark magic uh, <laughs> was. Uh, w- yeah, I was there from the beginning. So maybe I should stay uh, until the end. I don't know. You know. It's kind of fun just to watch things burn, right? Yeah, true, true. I, I just don't see myself being a book talker mm. because the level of commitment uh, in like creating content there is, neither is of much us are, higher. Yeah, neither of us are really on-camera people. Um, Rira and I both um, do our best behind the scenes. We're both, you know, editors and uh, producers. Um, we usually help other people. Yeah, we're we're used to helping other people. And then when on the rare occasion when we are on camera for other people's uh panels or interviews, it's always very awkward. <laughs> A little bit. Yeah. Oh, well, we're not here to reminisce on the demise of Twitter. We are here because it is our mid-month check-in for November 2022. Um as always, we're going to go over the latest book deals and book news um, specifically regarding Asian and Asian American authors. Rira, we're doing something a little bit different this time though, right? Yes. Since HarperCollins Union, uh, they went on strike this past week. We'll cover that news in a little bit. But since they have um, gone on strike, they've requested that reviewers and influencers, uh, you know, withhold reviews, nominations, blurbs, etc., if they're able to. And um, what I did for this month is I moved all of the book deals that were under HarperCollins and its imprints to a different doc. We'll cover it once uh, a fair contract is reached with uh, the HarperCollins union. So uh, apologies to the authors who were hoping to listen to their book deal on this episode and we didn't cover it. But uh we are pro-union on this podcast. Yeah, we support the workers uh, because we and I have both been workers, unionized, and it was not great. No, no. <laughs> I have yet to be a part of a union. And man, do I wish I was part of one. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Well, uh, we'll talk more about that later on in our new segment. But first, let's get to our first publishing deal. All right. Our first publishing deal is St. Martin's Griffin bought Priyanka Taslim's adult debut from Mumbai with Love. The book follows a young woman who, after the death of her mother, attends the Mumbai wedding of a long lost family member and gets thrown into a succession war for the most powerful company in India while also navigating conflicting feelings for two handsome men with agendas of their own. Publication is slated for 2024. This sounds like a lot of fun. Like, I mean, it started off kind of on a bummer, but then it gets into like Knives Out Succession with Love Triangle. 
You know how much um, I love weddings in, in books, so I'm I'm down. Also, a wedding of a long lost family member, like that sounds very dramatic. Yeah. So Yeah. And you know, it's probably not fun in real life, but reading about um rich people trying to fight over inheritances, it's one of my favorite things. All right. Next up, Crown acquired in a two-book deal, The Notes, by debut novelist Catherine Con Morse. This contemporary YA novel follows Claire Wu, a Chinese-American pianist at a performing arts boarding school whose dedication to music is rekindled by a glamorous new music teacher, but is challenged by warning notes, her first love, and the pressure to succeed. Publication is planned for summer 2024 and a second standalone book for summer 2025, respectively. I don't know why, but I just got like anime vibes. <laughs> kind of like one of those arts animes or music animes. Where... Uh, it kind of reminds me of Your Lie in April because it's also about a pianist who finds his passion again thanks to a third party. Yeah. I mean, I definitely feel this book also has a lot of like Rira's keywords. Um, music, <laughs> <My> boarding <keywords>. school. <laughs> music, boarding school, trauma. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on. Levan Quarito acquired Mani Samia Finds Her Quetzal Voice by debut author Ana Lapera. The upper middle grade novel follows Manuela Mani Samia, a 12-year-old Filipina Guatemalan girl who just wants two things, to get her period and to thwart her mother's plan of taking her to Guatemala on her birthday. But when she discovers letters between her mother and her disappeared journalist aunt, Mani is transformed from quiet bystander into a budding activist. Publication is scheduled for spring 2024. Did you ever, um, I don't know how often you went back to Korea or um, Asia when you were a kid, but I remember a couple of times when I was very unhappy to go back to Taiwan. But then once I was there, it was the best time of my life. Especially when you're 12, you don't want to leave your friends over the summer. Everyone's doing summer camp and fun things. And you have to go to the sweaty tropical island to hang out with your grandparents. That is to say, I find this premise very relatable. Yeah, it is very relatable. And also, um, I like how it's a Filipina Guatemalan girl, um, you know, mixed race, you know, mixed multiracial, multi-ethnic uh, family. Um, also, it's just really cool that she has a disappeared journalist aunt. The mystery behind that is uh, pretty promising. All right. Our next deal. In a six-figure auction, Razorbill won North American rights to Crow Girl by debut author-illustrator Charlotte Wu. With echoes of Studio Ghibli, this middle-grade graphic novel fairy tale introduces Crow, a girl born with feathers on her face and the ability to talk to animals, who embarks on the quest with her new friend, the Cursed Prince, to change both their fates. Publication is planned for spring 2025. Yeah, it, this does give me Studio Ghibli feels. <laughs> it's kind of like Howl's Moving Castle with the feathers and a cursed prince. Yeah, definitely sounds like a fun children's fantasy tale and it's fun to see a female protagonist as well that's you know not a princess yeah um so speaking of ghibli i've been watching a lot of vlogs where <laughs> people are going to the new newly opened ghibli park All right looks so pretty i want to go to there japan's we open live in the you know? We live in the wrong country. I mean, Japan's open No, because tourism. you need tickets. You need tickets to go. <laughs> oh, is it like a sold-out situation? 
Yeah, like from what I've heard, you need to be a Japanese citizen in order to purchase like tickets or to reserve time. So you would have to find someone to book the reservations for you. Hmm. I don't know if that's true, but that is what I've heard. <laughs> and I'm like, I mean, that tracks because a lot of the amusement parks in Japan, there's yeah. a lot of hoops to go through. The thing is, I have a relative there. But they're not very tech savvy, so I don't know if I can walk them through the booking process. Uh, we'll have to figure this out. Um, but yeah, I love that it's a middle grade graphic novel. So, you know, it's for the kids and something fun that I can also, you know, all, as always, looking for stuff to give to my nieces and nephews who are getting into reading. So, um, yeah, congrats to Charlotte. All right. Next up, in a three book deal, Scholastic acquired world rights to Inside Scouts, written by Matali Banerjee Roots and illustrated by Francesca Mahani. In this early reader series, two young doctors in training use their special abilities to shrink in size, explore the systems of the body, and practice emotional skills like kindness, bravery, and strength. Publication of the first book is planned for spring 2024. This sounds like a like a biology version of like the Magic School Bus. Do you remember those books? Oh my god, that takes me back i don't think i've ever read the books i just watched the show really oh i read the books i used to borrow them from my elementary school library um and and, you know the teacher teachers would usually read to us as well um because it was a fun way to learn about science um this also gave me like do you remember that film inner space i think it starred dennis quaid as like a scientist in a tiny submarine that shrinks down and travels around the bodily systems of martin short trying to escape yeah, no, I've never heard of that movie, uh, oh. but I am getting kind of like Osmosis Jones vibes, <laughs> even though that's like not like that's not a doctor or a third party going into a body. It's it's about someone who's actually part of the body that fights crime and viruses that try to uh, invade your immune system. But this sounds really fun. Yeah. And also um, the anime sells that work, right? That is to say, um, stories about learning about the body through adventures is an A-plus setup in my book. And definitely sounds like it'll be a lot of fun. Okay, um, next up, Roaring Brook acquired world rights to The Star in You, a picture book by Katrina Moore, illustrated by Amber Wren, that celebrates the unique star that shines in each of us. Publication is set for fall 2024. So not much description to go on. However, the message is very cute. Yeah. Do we think we're talking about literal stars or like figurative stars? Uh, because, you know, is this like exploring the universe within yourself? Or I feel like I it's know, figure I feel like it's figurative saying everybody has something unique about them that makes them shine. And it's going to be <laughs> illustrated as a star because it is a picture book. Or is it stars and pop stars a star? That's true. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) I guess we'll find out. But congrats to Katrina um, and Amber. All right. Next up, Little Brown bought Reem Shikari's Six Truths and a Lie. The novel follows six Muslim teens as their lives are upended when they are falsely accused of an alleged attack on Los Angeles Beach and must trust or turn their backs on each other to prove their innocence. Publication is scheduled for winter 2024. Ah, The Prisoner's Dilemma. This sounds harrowing, yeah. Kind of reminds me of uh, Big Little Lies, not just with the title, (laughs) but also with like the investigation part. But 
wow, um, being accused of a of an attack as like a teen just because you're Muslim. I'm guessing that this is a racially targeted. Arrest. Yeah, definitely gives those vibes like post 9-11 paranoia, um, prejudices and teens that are pitted against each other in like, you know, a legal system that isn't on their side. Uh, I see a lot of potential here for like, for both juicy drama and like depressing reflections on the state of our law enforcement. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely getting those vibes yeah. as well. Um, all right, next up. Tundra acquired Team Park by Angela Ahn, the author of Peter Lee's Notes from the Field. Uh, attempting to prove himself to a sports-obsessed father, 11-year-old Evan Park trains for a Dominator Ninja Junior competition. But when an accident sidelines him, he must shift gears to look beyond a solo competition and rally the whole family for a local fun race. Publication is slated for fall 2024. Ah, uh. The sports-obsessed father that we all try to uh, <laughs> seek approval from. Was I don't know about you, but my dad was definitely not sports-obsessed. My dad was more into um, rock music. Oh, wow. Your dad was uh, pretty cool then. <laughs> um, my dad really wanted me to love golf, and oh. I was just really bad at it. And we also tried tennis, but I'm not very good with hand-eye coordination, so... <laughs> But yeah, like, I feel like this story of, you know, boys trying to prove themselves worthy to their dads is is a pretty common trope. Um, This Ninja Junior competition sounds super dope. It's basically Ninja Warrior, right? So there, so... Evan was probably like trying to climb stuff and fell and probably had like a bad fall or something. Um, because I, I don't know if you've seen these Ninja Warrior gyms that people build into their garages, but like they don't they don't seem that safe sometimes. No, definitely not. But I like the fact that Evan and his family are gonna be in a race slash um I'm guessing that hopefully there's like some ninja stunts in in the race that the family is gonna be in. Uh, I don't know. It sounds like just like your, you know, run and walk five k. Yeah, but you know, shifting gears from individually, like trying to prove yourself to your father, and realizing that you don't have to is it's a pretty solid lesson to teach, especially for young Asian Americans. Yeah, um, I mean, the book is called Team Park. Yeah, and you know, I I'm just thinking about if I had to do like a team activity with my family. <laughs> We we would be so frustrated with each other. We're all very competitive. Mm. And um, I feel like we would be very quick to throw each other on, under the bus. So <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> I'm guessing that there will be some conflict within the family in, in this race. Sounds like a good time with the use. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. All right. Next up, Triumph Books acquired world rights to the tentatively titled Wataru Misaka, Basketball's Barrier Breaker, written by Haley Diep and illustrated by Naomi Giddings. The picture book is about the largely untold story of Wataru Misaka, the first person of color in the NBA, formerly known as the BAA. Publication is slated for fall 2023. Yeah. Um, Wataru Misaka is someone that... Those of us who have been, you know, working around the Asian American community is like at least somewhat familiar with because you know, he gets brought up a lot whenever we talk about sports and the you know, barrier breakers. But you know, in terms of the general public, I think he's still kind of largely a 
unknown figure. So it's cool that we have, you know, more books highlighting his uh, his journey. Yeah, and also more Asian athletes are getting their own stories told through picture books. So that's really that's a really nice trend to see. Yeah, especially because like when Wataru was playing, it probably wasn't easy. To be him oh, in the definitely, league, right? Definitely not. I mean, this was back when probably the league was also super white. Yeah, yeah. All right, our next deal. Um, Union Square Kids acquired at auction A Bright Heart by debut novelist Kate Chenley. In this historical YA fantasy, when Mixion is murdered by the man she thought she loved, she is granted her dying request and wakes up two years earlier. She now needs to stop all the horrors she had unwittingly set in motion, But the past keeps changing and she needs to use her intelligence and wit to make sure the wrong man doesn't once again become king. Publication is planned for fall 2023. Ooh, a time travel story. Yeah, this sounds like one of many webtoons that I've read over the last few months. Also sea dramas. (laughs) Oh yeah, we do love a good time travel like redo but i i love those so i'm pretty sure i'll love this book as well it's like i will never get tired of um i guess like historical time travel stories i don't know it's like so (laughs) much fresher than i don't know contemporary time travel stories i thought you were gonna say you love seeing toxic men get what's coming to them oh i mean that's a given Yeah, sounds like a lot of fun. Congrats to Kate on her book deal. All right, next up, Crown acquired world rights to the picture book Mamie Fights to Go to School based on a true story. Written by Tracy Huan and illustrated by Michelle Jing Chan. This picture book is inspired by the real-life story of Mamie Tape, a Chinese-American student growing up in San Francisco in the 1880s who was prohibited from attending the local all-white school. Mamie and her parents filed a lawsuit, and her case went all the way to California Supreme Court. Publication is slated for summer 2024. Yeah, another historical fiction taking place in the turn of the century, um, a time when you know Chinese people were in the states. I think this case was mentioned in one of the um, episodes of Asian Americans, the PBS show. But I love that it's being dramatized into a picture book so that, you know, our kids can learn about some real life history about Asian Americans and how we existed back in you know the 1800s. Yeah, yeah. Okay, our next deal. In an exclusive submission, Simon & Schuster acquired Emmy-winning journalist and What the Fact author Seema Yasmin's debut YA novel, Unbecoming. The coming-of-age tale of Muslim girls in Texas forced to navigate bodily autonomy in a post-Roe landscape while uncovering secrets within the family and community. Publication is scheduled for spring 2024. I think this is our first book addressing a post-Roe America. Yeah, I think so too. Um, A very heavy topic. Yeah. And it kind of makes sense that it's set in Texas. (laughs) Sadly, it does make sense. But a very relevant tale uh, for readers today. Yeah, especially um, with the added dimension of centering around the story of Muslim girls as well. I'm sure that will also complicate uh, and add to their challenges as well. Yeah, a very timely novel. All right, our final book deal is In a Preempt Crown Bought World English Rights to the Lucky Ones by Zara Chaudhari. The memoir depicts the 2002 anti-Muslim riots in Western India through the eyes of a Muslim teenager and explores the once proudly secular nation's descent 
into hypernationalism while mapping the legacies of Indian Muslims. Publication is set for fall 2024. Wow. Another book about a um, not so great time in history or modern history. <laughs> I do like that we are seeing more books talking about these harrowing situations from the perspective of children and the people that are caught in the middle of it. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I love the fact that it's told through the eyes of a Muslim teenager. And um, yeah, it's also it also takes place in India. So this is a story that probably not a lot of American readers know about. So yeah. And the fact that it centers on a nationalist movement, which is, you know, while it's happening in another country, I'm sure we'll see some reflections on what's happening in our country as well, because, you know, nationalism has kind of become a thing in the world today. And and I think being able to reflect on the effects of that on regular people and specifically the most vulnerable people in your community is is something that, you know, people need to be more aware of. So, yeah, congrats to Zara on her book deal as well. All right. So we have reached our new segment of our mid-month episode. Uh, like I said earlier, we're going to cover the HarperCollins strike. So HarperCollins Union went on an indefinite strike starting on November 10th after working without a contract since April. Uh, we covered this back in our October mid-month episode, and negotiations with the publisher allegedly broke down over raising base pay for workers. So we are on day six of the strike, and I highly recommend people follow um, Harper Collins Union on Twitter because you get more updates on what's happening with their strike. Um, ways to support, you can share HPC Union's uh, graphics on social media. They have um, graphics for authors and booksellers as well as readers. Uh, they have a strike fund that they're asking donations from. Um, it's a Google Doc form. So if anybody is saying to Venmo or PayPal the, the strike fund, probably fake. Please be careful. Um, also, you can email peopleteam at harpercollins.com um, writing about your support for the union. And of course, if you are an author, editor, agent, uh, try not to take HarperCollins contracts or renege contracts while the union is on strike. But yeah, like in our October mid-month episode, we talked about how low the pay is for uh, entry-level positions at publishing companies. Publishing is notorious for underpaying their uh, staff. I mean, it's in New York City. You can barely get by. Uh, I don't know how you can get by with $35,000 in in salary. It's unheard of. <laughs> Impossible. Like, that is that is really low for New York a city that's notorious for having like one of the highest standards of living costs in like the country. Yeah, yeah. And just the fact that, you know, they just the fact that publishing is notorious for taking advantage of people's passion for books because they're like, "Oh, if like if you're not going to do this, then we can hire like a recent college grad who is dying to be part of this industry and doesn't really care about being underpaid." 
Right. Or even using like the manipulative reasons like, oh, you know, if you don't do this, books don't get out to the kids or the people. And you know, you don't want to be responsible for that, do you? Like there's a lot of it's it's really interesting because there's a lot of mixed messaging between like the altruistic nature of books and like the cold hard fact that like these publishing companies are giant corporations that only want to consolidate power. I mean, we just saw the DOJ block the merger between Simon Schuster and Penguin Random House, which is how we learned about a lot of these practices as well, right? Yeah, we learned that the high executive positions have no idea how their money is being made at their company. <laughs> and they have no idea how publishing works, which is really funny because you would think that the top person in the chain of command would understand how their company works but you would think that but you would think that all those people look at are um spreadsheets and numbers like they don't make decisions based on like the good a book can do it's more how much money this book can do. and we're seeing this happening everywhere right we're seeing barnes and noble no longer taking all new books we're seeing we're seeing publishing companies really try to extract all the money they can out of libraries. Um, there's a really good Planet Money episode uh, from last week that goes into the relationship between libraries, publishing companies, and ebooks. That's really interesting as well. Yeah, but of course, HarperCollins is like one of the biggest publishers in the industry. So if they are able to raise the pay, raise the base pay for their workers, then it's going to cause a ripple effect with all of the other publishing houses. So this is not just about HarperCollins. Uh, I remember when Penguin Random House raised their pay and that caused an effect with other publishing houses. Um, and also, like I, I feel like we can't talk about the publishing industry without talking about like privilege because um, a lot of ways, the the main way a lot of people get into the publishing industry is through internships. And, you know, at like, if you're going to be in a publishing house as like a editorial intern or whatever, as, as an editing intern or whatever, you have to read a lot of manuscripts. And, you know, if you don't have family support, um, and you have to like work a job on top of taking classes and doing an internship, that's not something that is easy to do. So a lot of the people who work, who break into publishing, they had a lot of help. And I feel like we don't mention that a lot in discussions about breaking into the industry. It is very much a privilege to get <laughs> into the industry. Um, and also, like it's really heartbreaking to see how many BIPOC workers in the publishing industries have been burnt out uh, because so much stress is put on them to make diversity work happen. quote unquote work go happen. go make diversity find this diversity please yeah they're given impossible tasks when they're promoted to uh, higher positions they're, the publishing industry is like hey fix our diversity yeah. problem that we've had for century for for like dozens of years yeah can you find us a pipeline of diverse books because we realize that they sell now um even though we've spent no money in cultivating a stable of bipoc authors and writers over the last few decades yeah, yeah. and not to mention um just like the bias in marketing books like oh this is the books these are the books that that are going to sell and you can't really predict 
which books are going to become top sellers unless you invest the money into those titles. I mean, as someone, so like I, I studied business in, in grad school and the fact that we saw that the executives don't understand publishing does lend credence to the fact that they're probably not looking at that model. They're looking at why isn't why aren't these numbers bigger? Can we just focus on the big numbers? And if you think about it that way, all of these strategy decisions make a little bit more sense in how they came to that decision, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, support your unions, support um, creators that hand sell books. I mean, they really do so much work in the industry <laughs> and it's, you know, they, they don't get thanked enough in, in their work. Yeah. All right. So our last piece of news is that the 73rd National Book Awards happened in New York uh, literally yesterday as of this recording, <laughs> November 16th. It was held at the Cipriani Wall Street. Um, and funnily enough, the HarperCollins Union members were passing out flyers and <laughs> buttons outside of the venue and um, speakers, including Padma Lakshmi and Ibran X. Kendi, they wore the HPC Union on strike buttons in support. Yeah. So you see these big buttons when they're like speaking and um, the ceremony is on YouTube. So you can watch all of the final readings and award speeches uh, on the National Book Awards uh, YouTube channel. But like one of the biggest things that happened was that Sabah Tahir won the Young People's Literature Award Ooh. for All My Rage. Um, and for those of you who are unfamiliar with the story of All My Rage, uh, it draws from Sabah Tahir's own uh, childhood experience. Her family had a motel in the Mojave Desert. And the book is Tahir's first contemporary novel, and it follows a working-class Pakistani-American family from Lahore, and they move to Juniper, California, where they run a motel. Uh, and in her speech, Tahir said she was proud to be the first Muslim and Pakistani-American woman to win this award in this category and dedicated her win to her Muslim sisters. Yeah. So congratulations to Sabah. I mean... I, this is incredible. Um, all my rage. Like we, we haven't covered the book yet, but we've touched on it in previous episodes, and it it really is, it really is like awesome to see like a Muslim and Pakistani author win such a prestigious award. Seeing more BIPOC authors crushing it at these <laughs> award shows yeah congrats to sabah on that award um i didn't realize that it was a contemporary novel or did i know that i just forgot you probably forgot because sabah is a uh, most famous series is ember in the ashes and that's right. a fantasy novel <laughs> and i mean all my rage sounds like a pretty cool fantasy title as well but taking in the contemporary aspect there's a lot of other connotations that can go with that and so that's awesome. You know, like these book awards are important because they do drive book sales. And, you know, it's I think it's ironic that this book won because this is probably on a lot of ban lists, right? Because of the subject matter. Oh, yeah. 100 <laughs> percent. And also, uh, speaking of like book banning, that was a hot topic at the National Book Awards. They were talking about how like the American Libraries Association, they said that like book banning has been 
at its highest since they started documenting uh, lists of book bans uh, since like, what, like 12 years ago, I'm guessing. <laughs> so we are we are in a time where it is like it is a struggle if you are a librarian or an educator in order to like have these books by especially BIPOC authors. Yeah. I mean, we mentioned earlier about, you know, seeing um, our own country slide into nationalism while reading about other countries slide in nationalism. And in our world, this is the most um, apparent in book banning because some of these books have, there's no reason to ban them. It's, I don't know. It goes against what we believe, which is that books can open up new worlds, new experiences, and new opportunities. So, yeah. Books and boba, anti-book banning. That we our, our position stands. Anti-book banning <laughs> and also uh, pro-union. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure I'm sure a lot of the books that we covered on this show are on those book banning lists. So yeah. I mean, it seems like it's it doesn't take much to get on that list, to be honest. Just not that is ha- true. Yeah, it just, does not take much. You have a gay character, ban. <laughs> if you talk about racism, ban, because it makes white parents feel bad that their that their ch- children might feel bad about being related to racists. <sighs> All right. And on that note, that'll do it for our two hundredth episode of Books and Boba Rira. Once again, thank you for joining me on this journey. Um, 200 episodes strong, six years. Um, we've read like what 72 books at this point. I don't know, math. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you can find most of our book picks for book club and books that we've covered in author interviews at our bookshop.org affiliate shop. Um, yeah, there's a lot of books yeah. that we've read for this show. And definitely, if you're thinking about Christmas shopping, um, do check out our bookshop. It's, it's our online bookstore where we have all the books that we've covered on this show, as well as a lot of really great reading lists that we put together based on different themes. Um, it's the perfect gift for your friends and family and young ones who are looking for more representation in their readings. Um, and as always, any purchase on the site will support not only your local bookstores, but also our podcast as well. But since this is our 200th episode, I think we should close by, um, I guess, just like picking our the most memorable book that we've read on this show. I mean, do you have any, Marvin? <laughs> um, I'd say off the top of my head. Um, yeah, at the top of your head. Probably Jade City when we interviewed um, Fonda Lee on, on like on the very early episode because that was my first like epic Asian inspired fantasy book. You know what I still um, recommend to a lot of friends is actually Sorcerer to the Crown, um, the um, the wow, Regency like, era fantasy. That was such a long time ago, wasn't that like our wasn't that like our third or fourth? It was really early, but it definitely like. It it opened my eyes to the world of Regency literature, I guess, because it was the first one of those that I actually read. Um, and so, um, yeah, like we mentioned, it opened my eyes to the potential of mixing of of this genre because you know incorporated the fantasy stuff that I love. Um, for me, let's see. Uh, at the top of my head, it's probably Beating Heart baby by leo min Mm. i remember how 
how we just kind of went all geek <laughs> in our author interviews and we talked about like our uh band experiences and it was just like so nice to have uh like more lgbtq representation with uh asian characters in uh contemporary fiction um i'm trying to think like what else I also really liked uh, Last Night at the Telegraph Club, which we read earlier this year by Melinda Lowe. It was a book that I had on my TBR pile for a really long time. And it was just really cool to read a historical uh, historical fiction. It was really cool to, to read about like a lesbian nightclub that had to kind of operate under under the table so it we learned a lot and i thought it was like a really sweet romance so um yeah those are the two books at the top of my head that were really memorable on this show yeah i think it's funny that i chose books that we read like six years ago and you chose books that we read this year listen i have (laughs) short-term memory okay (laughs) so like i I gravitated towards like the more recently (laughs) read books yeah what did we even read last month? We read the whole. Oh, we read the whole. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> All right. Spooky month. Got Spooky it. Month. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of what we read last month, Reba, can you remind us what we're reading this month in November 2022? We are reading Year of the Tiger, An Activist's Life by Alice Wong. So this is a memoir. We're going back into nonfiction. And Alice Wong is the founder of Disability Visibility. And um, I think it's our first time reading a book where disability is like front and center in the story. So I'm really excited to read this book. Uh, Well, we'll be discussing that book at the end of the month. But yeah, that'll do it for our episode. I think we'll be taking next week off. So happy Thanksgiving to everyone who celebrates. Wishing you all um, a pleasant experience with your families, um, or at least a non-confrontational one. Oh, that's impossible. (laughs) Um, but I hope you eat a lot of good food. Um, yeah. You know, whether it's turkey or kaibi <laughs> or whatever Asian food that's going to be inevitably at the table. I'm sure there's some of you who are going to eat hot pot for Thanksgiving. Oh, that sounds good, actually. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening and we'll see you all next time. Bye, everyone. Right, bye. Thanks for listening to Books and Boba. This podcast was hosted by Marvin Yue and Ri Ryu and edited and produced by Marvin Yue. Follow the book club on Twitter and Instagram by going to at Books and Boba and engage with us on Goodreads on our Goodreads group. You can also check out past episodes of the podcast by going to booksandboba.com and by subscribing to us on your favorite podcast app. Don't forget you can support Books and Boba and Asian American authors by purchasing books at our bookshop.org account. Check out the link in our show notes and also at booksandboba.com. Books and Boba is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian-American hosted podcasts featuring unique voices and stories from the Asian diaspora. Learn more about the collective and check out our fellow Potluck shows by visiting the website podcastpotluck.com. Thanks for listening.
Hey, I'm Phil Yu, and you may know me from a blog called Angry Asian Man. And I'm Jeff Yang, author, journalist, and celebrity dad. We host a podcast called They Call Us Bruce, an unfiltered conversation about what's happening in Asian America. Each week or so, we host a discussion about some of the most vital and interesting topics in our pop culture and our community, bringing in guests who are shaping and informing this thing called Asian America from Hollywood to D.C. and beyond. Uh, we've got media, entertainment, food, family, politics, representation, the good, the bad, the WTF of it all. So check us out wherever you get your podcasts or at theycallsbruce.com. Peace. Peace.